You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. It's the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast coming at you. I'm Anthony Gazenza. He's John Sheeran coming at you a little different day and time, four o'clock Eastern on Thursday for the live viewers. Thank you for adjusting and joining us if you uh, if you are so inclined. And if not, well, we're we're kind of playing some jazz with the schedules and whatnot right now and getting getting things set up for the off season. John, how are you, bud? It's the off season. There's no rules, man. We can do whatever we want. You know, there's, there's no games <laughs> being played on Sundays. You know, it, it's, it's up to said, playing jazz, man. Playing it's jazz. up to whenever these teams decide to make decisions on things that are, you know, of minor importance, like maybe a quarterback extension here and there. You know, we'll just go with the flow. Well, we talked about some of the, I don't know, happenings, not happenings around the the league, AFC. Um, obviously, a lot to watch and monitor with the Baltimore Ravens and what's going on with Lamar Jackson there. Um, there's talk about, you know, are they, are they going to get a deal done? Are they going to do the franchise tag? Is this, you know, what's going on now that they've got a new offensive coordinator? So that's a big deal that everybody's kind of keeping an eye on, as was the head coaching hires across the NFL. And we talked about that the other day on kind of the news update that we pro- uh, provided everybody. We... It, it almost seemed, John, that it was Anna Rumo's job in Arizona. Um, it kind of felt like, you know, he was kind of the guy that they had narrowed it down to. And then there was kind of a late addition, it seemed, with the offensive coordinator from the Eagles who ended up getting the job. And now the Bengals are able to keep Dan Pitcher, who interviewed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for an offensive coordinator position. You got Brian Callahan, who interviewed for the Colts. Uh, and had some other interest out there. And then, of course, you had Anna Rumo getting down to the wire with the Cardinals, but the Bengals are able to retain all of those. Talked a little bit about that the other day, but I'd love to get your thoughts on those guys all coming back, what it means to the Bengals from a macro perspective, I suppose. Look, credit to the Cardinals for kind of sticking to their guns. Like, it seemed like Gannon was always like the under the radar type of candidate that we didn't hear that much about just because he had been spending so much time, you know, preparing for the Super Bowl. And then he ended up in Arizona for practicing and then playing in the, in the stadium that he's now supposedly going to be coaching for the next five or six years. So credit to them for not, you know, using the Super Bowl like against him. I'm sure it obviously came up in the interview, but I wouldn't want that bad juju on my conscience if I was making that hire. So credit to them for actually sticking to it. But yeah, it, it, it did seem like after the Super Bowl, Lou and Aruma was one of the final two candidates there. They seemed to be going 
in that defensive direction. It seemed like he had the inside track, but they must have been in on Gannon this whole time. I think there was a relationship already established between him and the GM there, and it seemed like that was the best or the most likely chance that the Bengals coach is going to get hired away to another team. But here we are. The entire staff is kind of back together, man. And, it, and honestly, it, it kind of feels like people, at least from GMs and owners, they view the Bengals in the same way as almost the Chiefs now, where it's like Brian Callahan, Luna Rumo, they will be future head coaches. I have no doubt in my mind one day. Like, But I feel the same way about Eric Bieniemy, right? And Eric Bieniemy is now like 20 interviews deep in his career. He still hasn't been hired as a head coach. He's now garnering interest from the Washington Commanders to lead their offense. And it seems like the only way that Bieniemy, for in this case, can be hired as a head coach is if he gets away from Patrick Mahomes. Because people view the Chiefs as like Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid... They are the two biggest and most important catalysts, obviously, for making that thing go. And it's almost like, at least from my perspective, like Luna Rumo, Brian Callahan, they should be garnering more interest to be head coaches, and they're not. And it's like Joe Burrow has succeeded so much beyond a lot of people's expectations in Cincinnati that people are kind of just viewing the Bengals' uprise as almost entirely because of Joe Burrow. And it feels like the, the coaches aren't getting enough credit because of that, just like Patrick Mahomes is obviously the reason why people think that the Chiefs and Andy Reid are as good as they are, and, and Bienemy kind of gets left out into the cold. So I hope that doesn't last eternally for both Callahan and Aruma because I want the best for both of them. But it Maybe does seem like, yeah. right? Like it, it just seems like it, it's trending that sort of way. And until like <laughs> I guess a team is desperate enough or hasn't has gone through all exhausted all through their options, then Callahan and Aruma are kind of here to stay just because. Like, maybe that's just the perception of the Bengals right now. Maybe it is the perception of the Bengals. And, you know, it's it's very – it's kind of tough to be a defensive coordinator in the NFL right now if you're successful and you want to get a head coaching job because it seems as if everything revolves around those offensive minds. You even look at what Denver did. They moved off of an unproven offensive mind and went to a proven offensive mind and Sean Payton as their next head coach the the you know i mean you look around it's just it's not defensive coordinator heavy uh, around the league it it just seems like these younger offensive minds kind of the innovative approaches uh way you know they they win the day when it comes down to whittling down candidates and getting you know getting guys that get in there so i mean tough break for lou anarumo i mean it was the same thing with mike zimmer for a long time and i don't know what else guys i mean i guess it's an interesting parallel you bring up between Bienemy, Callahan, and whatnot. You know, I think there's the it's not only the quarterback head coach combo, but it's also, you know, they're not the sole play caller type of stigma, I think, that goes with that as well. We know Callahan's part of a brain trust. Bienemy, obviously part of a brain trust there, but a lot of stuff flows through Reed and Mahomes in terms of what they do there. So I think there's a little bit bit of hesitancy from teams in that regard saying, you know, how, how heavy are the responsibilities that you actually have? I assume that's brought up quite a bit in the interview process when they talk to these guys, right? I mean, you have, you have to figure that that that's going to be brought up, but uh, Hey, other teams losses, I guess, or the Bengals gains or other teams passes on, on these coaches, the Bengals gain. And this is one of the things I know, it didn't go as well as we had hoped in this stretch, 2011 through 2015, but that was one of the reasons, a big reason why the Bengals were so successful. Continuity for the most part. Yeah, you lost, you know, you ended up losing Zimmer. You, you kind of had to go through a couple of uh, offensive coordinators, but even the guys that, you know, when Jay Gruden got replaced, you had Hugh Jackson who was in that system. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of continuity there, even when guys left. And here we are now with the Bengals, same thing going on. 
Yeah, and obviously when that whole thing was going down, when they lost both coordinators after the 2013 season, which hasn't happened until it is now happening for the Eagles after they just went to the Super Bowl, you know, guys jumped at the, at the chance to become head coaches. They jumped at the chance for these promotions. Both of Andy Dalton's first two coordinators eventually became head coaches because Dalton had such success under them and teams wanted to replicate that for their teams. It's, it's almost like almost a sign of respect now that the Bengals had this unparalleled level of continuity that really only the Chiefs can kind of match from a coordinator standpoint, but you also include Dan Pitcher, the quarterback's coach, who has major influence on the architecture and, and the design of the offense. Troy Walters can kind of say the same, and he was also being you know targeted as an offense coordinator for the Houston Texans. The fact that all these guys are now coming back and the level of interest that they're garnering, it's almost like the NFL is viewing it as, you know, this is something that, that really works for them. And it's just kind of like the perfect storm of, of minds coming together to really build this thing. Because like what we've seen in, in the past, teams rising from the literal bottom of the barrel like the Bengals to where they are now, like those teams end up having to go through coaching turnover and the Bengals just aren't in that boat. It, it's very fascinating to see. It is. So let's uh, we're, we're going to get to hopefully a couple of prospect profiles, at least one. Uh, NFL draft prospect profiles. We'll get to those towards the end of the show, but we want to talk about the coaching and then maybe what we think a little bit of what the Bengals approach will be with free agency, the draft, et cetera. So now let's just kind of look at what, what this means here for the Bengals with the coaching returns. I mean, obviously you would think that based on the success, based on a lot of the quotes that a lot of players have made, particularly on that defensive side of the ball, you would, you would think that Callahan pitcher, and Rumo coming back, big, big positive for this team. Bengals have some pretty big free agents on the defensive side of the ball in particular, obviously contract extensions on the horizon on the offensive side of the ball also to, to weigh out here. But we had an interesting report from Field Yates of ESPN. He's kind of lone wolfing this thing where he feels like Jesse Bates may actually have a decent chance at coming back to the Bengals. We've spent the better part, I guess, now of almost two full years, right? year and a half, something like that now, saying probably not going to happen long-term extension. But here you go. You got the defensive coordinator back, which maybe a lot of people didn't figure that would happen. And so now, I mean, are we looking at the Bengals? How much of a percentage, I guess, better, if you want to put a number on it, or just how big is this for the Bengals to potentially retain some of their premier players set to, setting to hit free agency. When you get a guy like Anarumo back, you get you get the offensive staff back. I, th- I think Bates is still like one percent. Like honestly, it, his market may not be exactly what he wants, but I promise you, he's going to find a deal that's better, more lucrative in the ways that he wants outside of Cincinnati. Like I'm sure the offer is still on the table. I don't think anything is set in stone for what their plan is. At safety, they drafted Dax Hill, obviously, to replace one of Jesse Bates or Von Bell. Mm -hmm. I I can't imagine, obviously, both of those veterans are going to be back. So Dax is going to be a starter. He's versatile enough where he can play both spots. So in the reality where Jesse Bates does resign, then Dax Hill would just take Von Bell's spot. But I think most people are kind of in the boat that Dax is going to replace Jesse just because there's a higher chance, a significantly higher chance that Jesse is gone just because he knows what he wants to be paid at like i'm sure he has an idea of what the market is out there he has an agent that is notorious for getting the absolute most bang for his client's buck and everything that kind of goes with that bates is younger than von bell he's got more perceived upside he has a skill set that is probably higher valued when it comes to what other gms look for 
And, you know, there was probably interest, you know, sometime last year before free agency began, before it, there was the tag there. Like, I'm sure teams were really desperate to get their hands on Jesse Bates, and now he's one year more experienced. He had another decent year, I guess not a dominant year in, in the ways that maybe Bengals fans would have wanted, but not certainly not bad enough where he completely tanked his market. Like, I don't see a situation where he just finds absolutely nowhere close to what he wants, and then he comes crawling back to the Bengals. I don't, I don't yeah, I mean... Last year, to me, was he was far more consistent throughout the year last year than he was the year prior. Last year, in 2021, I should say, Bates really shined in the postseason. Um, mm-hmm. it, was, it was kind of an up-and-down year in the regular season. This year felt like a much more steady year from him um, a, a across the board and even in, in the postseason, too. So, you know, I, I, I think he's going to get big value. I don't know that I necessarily, uh, you know, agree with what Field Yates said but maybe there is an uptick a little bit saying, hey, you know, the, the coach that I've been performing very well under is back. This unit that's been performing very, very well under Lou Anarumo is, you know, he, he's back spearheading the thing and we don't have to kind of rebuild. And it looks like a lot of pieces are in place for another deep run. Maybe that's appealing if the Bengals put something out there that is at least close to what he is seeking. I don't I, I don't know. I, again, kind of to what you hinted at here, I just. I, I don't see the, the the needle moving all that much for him specifically, but I think there are some others that would be maybe more tempted to come back, maybe tempted to extend because of, um, you know, the, the, the return there. So I, you know, Bates is kind of the big question mark. I just thought it was very interesting that Field Yates kind of put that out there. You know, a guy who's got a pretty, pretty good pulse on things around the league. I mean, I, I can't imagine what his sources are. Like, I don't know if that was based on anything that he heard or is, or is his gut or just what he's heard from other agents or whatnot. It just, there's nothing that has changed necessarily. Like, I understand the angle of Anaruma coming back and these guys loving to play under him. Logan Wilson, I think, texted Jeff Hobson the other day. Like, I'm selfishly ecstatic that Lou is coming back just because the system, it benefits the players so much and there's a lot of excitement to remain in the same system that they all know and love and thrive under. So that's definitely a factor, a factor to some extent, but like Bates has been on the record for saying like the difference between $10 million is something that he can't necessarily ignore. Right. Whether or not, whether or not that applies to other players, like for, for example, like Jermaine Pratt, right? Like he's also made it very vocal that, you know, he wants a more expanded role and he wants to maximize his potential earnings. The, the variable of Anarumo coming back may or may not impact that. But again, like, like these these players they only get one or two chances at most to maximize whatever they can earn and for especially a player like Pratt excuse me who really dominated in, in a in a contract year and really elevated himself at the perfect right time like this is the chance for him to realize a maximized role on a maximized contract potentially with on another team aside from the Bengals and that's his prerogative to go out and chase that and that's his prerogative to do that outside of this specific scheme I'm sure there's definitely interest for him to return but I don't think the Bengals are going to adjust their price knowing like regardless of what happens at defense coordinator now Luna Rumo's back um, maybe they think that they can get these guys at, at some, somewhat of a discount but I don't think it impacts the players that much I guess well, I, I, we're, we're going to switch gears here, and we're going to go a little bit in, in terms of NFL chronological order from their calendar perspective. Now that the Bengals coaches are back, and and you know, think there's going to be a lot of cohesion and you know, aligned vision in terms of hey, this is how we're going to go through the scouting process. This is what we're going to do for the free agency process, etc. 
So free agency obviously kicks off before the draft, although scouting season is underway. With these guys back and with the affirmant, we already went last last week, we went through the litany of all the impending free agents, and there's some big names in there for the Cincinnati Bengals of their own guys, that is. You've got – so there's this sentiment now, John, where you go, okay, look, Burrow, the whole crew on offense, you can add some pieces – free agency the draft maybe you make one or two big splashes in free agency outside you retain some of the key guys inside because this window as you have all these coaches together continues to be jammed up open i know burrow said it's his whole career but this window continues to be propped open because this coaching staff that is shown to be successful is back together so I guess as you sit here right now, we're about a month or so away from the kickoff of the big frenzy that is free agency. As you sit here right now, coaching staff back intact, we know about the extensions and whatnot, and, and that's the other portion of this to weigh. Extensions coming up for big players, re-signing internal free agents, obviously a pretty big priority of this team. But do you see this kind of, hey, this might be another all-in type of offseason. Let's spend a little more than, than we – normal or you know than we have or than we did in the in the early you know the first year of Dak Taylor some of the years in Marvin Lewis let's spend more than even though we've got the roster and arguably the best shape it's been because we got our coaching staff back and we've got all hands on deck I, I don't think the Bengals will ever go completely all in like maybe the Philadelphia Eagles are a good, are a good example of that this past year, right? When they made multiple moves at the trade deadline, when they just stacked the roster as much as possible because they realized the window that, that they were in. They realized the quarterback that they had on that kind of deal. I don't think the Bengals will ever quite do that because that also is kind of reflected, reflected it in the draft. And the Bengals continue to have the same philosophies when it comes to the draft they like to look at least at another year ahead that's what they did this past season I think where you will see them maybe be more aggressive is just in making sure that Burrow and maybe to an extent Higgins are back maybe they are a little bit more aggressive or at least for Burrow like I like there's just no scenario where I see him not signing the extension this year and that may lead to them crossing over to the fence a little bit and having a little bit more wiggle room in the, in the extension. Like and maybe that's the case for Higgins as well. Like they saved a lot of cash this past year, knowing what was on the doorstep for this year. I think they were 30th in cash spending glass free agency, despite going out and getting Alex Kappa, Ted Karras, the minute free agency began and then Lyle Collins a week later, right? Like they, they, they structured those deals in a way where they didn't have to spend that much cash up front for that specific year, knowing that they needed as much in the reserve bank as possible for this year. And I think that's where you will see, obviously, more aggression. And you'll see the both of those extensions, if both happen, look completely different compared to what past extensions have been with, with the Bengals, just because of the guaranteed money factor, just because of having to have that cash on hand up front that is paid to them immediately. And that will be the bulk of these extensions, right? So despite the the amount of salary cap space that they have, I don't think you will see them targeting, you know, tier one free agents right out of the gate, knowing that their priorities are to retain these guys and to sustain what they have instead of trying to rebuild certain areas of the roster. Yeah. There's not, there's not much to rebuild depending on what happens with some of these internal guys. But I mean, the cupboard's going to be kind of bare uh, potentially at safety, potentially at tight end. So those are areas you're probably going to look at them addressing um, one of those positions 
if all goes according to plan, we'll, we'll talk about in terms of a draft profile here in just a second. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't see, I, I guess what I'm referencing is, you know, are you seeing a 2020 off season type of thing where you've got the DJ readers and, you know, these, these big, you know, Trey Waynes and these big, we know what happened there, but <laughs> these big kind of moves where you go, you go, okay, wow, this is, you know, now that you got the coaching staff, that's that one or the one or two pieces that you may thought you, you were missing this last year that maybe could have put you over the hump here. That's kind of what I'm thinking. I, I do think while they may make some mid tier, uh, mid tier moves, maybe, you know, if you're going to grade the, the tiers, I guess I would say maybe B, but I would say probably C tier type of moves for some players. I, I, I do think that this is going to be an internally focused offseason for the Bengals, keeping Von Bell, maybe seeing what, if anything, can be done with Jesse Bates and keeping him around, um, shoring up the offensive line, making sure the guys are healthy there. And then, of course, um, you know, see what happens with Hurst, see what happens with a number of different positions here. But, you know, I think they feel that they've got the coaching staff, they've got the quarterback. They've got the weapons on offense. Now they just got to kind of tinker things, bring some key players back and work it that way. Now, might they see someone out there or might someone be dangled for a trade out there that tempts them? Perhaps. But I just, I think, I don't want to call it a boring offseason, but I think this is going to be one of those kind of, I hate to say it, a little bit one of those old school Marvin Lewis free agency periods where it's bring all the guys back you've had success with that their contracts are expiring, get set to extend some of your key, key players whose contracts are coming up here in the, in the horizon. And that's probably going to be the focus and sprinkle in a couple of outside guys here and there. Well, just, I mean, look at what openings are available on the roster right now, just looking at free agents. Like you have four starting jobs that are open right now. One of them is going to be filled by Dax Hill. One of them is going to be filled by Cam Taylor Britt. And then you have, I guess, linebacker with Jermaine Pratt and tight end with Hayden Hurst. A lot of people love this tight end class. And what happens every year, no matter what the position is, if it's a strong draft class, then that definitely impacts what those players at that position can get on the open market, which doesn't mean great news for Hayden Hurst and maybe some other you know mid-tier tight end free agents. Like, their entire tight end group is completely up for sale at this point. Like, they have no one under, under contract. They can completely remake that the way that they want to, and they have a great draft class to do that. So that eliminates probably big money at that position. The Bengals never really pay big money at any linebacker spot, really, aside from Vontas Burfick. And if they're going to pay a linebacker, we can kind of guess at this point it's going to be Logan Wilson just because they already play him like a three-down line. He never comes off the field, right? They value him probably more than Jermaine Pratt at this point, despite the season that Jermaine Pratt had. So you look at these roster openings, there's not glaring holes necessarily at offense line, albeit, you know, both tackle spots maybe could be upgraded, but it's not like they absolutely need like need elite new bodies there like they did last year. No. There's no, there's not really any spot on the roster like that. So there's no, I guess, there's no need for them to be so aggressive in getting one of these tier one guys immediately like they have been in the past couple of years. Now the difference may be fans may want them to be aggressive in attacking like the offensive tackle or maybe another edge rusher right right out of the gate, right? But in their mind, they see all of these major spots already filled. And if they're not already filled, they're going to be replaced by guys that they already have on the roster. So yeah, like you said, a lot of depth signings, a lot of guys in the second, third waves of the free agency. And what matters more than anything is those are quality players. Like you don't want you know, bad retread players over the age of 30, like we saw in the Marvin Lewis years, like this team still has 
and identity and targeting, you know, guys still in the prime of their careers and maybe guys that maybe feel slighted by what they did or didn't get in the open market. And now they see a team who's on the verge of winning an NFL championship. Like this is a great opportunity to really boost your career on like a one-year deal. I think that is definitely more of an intriguing path now that they have two years of, of sustained success. That's a really interesting point that you bring up about in Marvin Lewis, when Marvin Lewis was here, there were name, big names that were brought over, especially early in the free agency periods. But there were big names that were brought over, but they were on like their fourth contract, their third contract, a one-year rental deal. We're talking AJ Hawk, we're talking Sam Adams, we're talking all these guys towards Carlos the very Dansby. end of their career. You had the name, but they were at the end of the yeah. Dansby was like they tried to get him a couple of years before they ended up actually getting him, mm-hmm. uh, and so. You look at that, and now the the interesting thing about Zach Taylor is compared to Marvin Lewis in that approach, it's it's really great that you brought that up. Is they are targeting guys that are really in their uh, looking at their second contract, maybe their third, but their second contract uh, usually, and those are guys that are right in the prime of their careers and guys that maybe are still sending players as opposed to. You know, you're you're talking about some of the others that were on the backside of their career and maybe have one foot out of the NFL door, so to speak. Yeah, it, it, again, it matters more than just what they're being paid, right? And of course, the guys who get paid the most are signed first, right? And I ju- I just think we both feel like that's not going to happen with the Bengals this year. But you can find quality talent, quality depth players, role players all throughout a free agency, specifically after that first wave is done. And it's just going to be a return maybe to normalcy, I guess, for some for some Bengals fans before, you know, 2020, 2021, where they wait a little bit, they, they see how the market kind of settles. Maybe they have guys like Pratt and Bates leave in, into that tier one of free agency, and then they kind of work from there. And, and obviously, a lot of this is dependent on can they get the Burrow deal done before this, because, you know, they have options. A, plan A, plan B, plan C, based off of, the timeline of this right like if burrow doesn't get signed then that maybe change that changes like how much cash they have on hand to potentially make some moves but if burrow does get signed then that completely changes you know what their flexibility is for this free agency so a lot still has to be played out especially with the internal guys that maybe they sign before free agency begins but some of those guys like pratt and bates will definitely want to test the market for sure vacations can be tricky you already know how to book flights and hotels but now the only thing you're missing is you know the actual travel experience because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home you need a tool to get the most out of your time away that's where viator steps in you can book guided tours activities excursions and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Well, we've talked a little free agency. We've talked about the coaches. We're going to get into the draft in just a second here, and we're going to start with you know, maybe where the, the team may be looking uh, in terms of position, sides of the ball, that sort of thing in the draft. And then we've got a couple of player profiles for you. This is the Orange and Black Insider, part of the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel, though. And that Cincy Jungle Podcast channel can be found on your favorite audio streamer, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all of the major ones we are there. So go check it out. you got to hit the subscribe button there. You can get our show, Talking Football with Bengal Jim and Friends. They had a really fun season, a very successful one in terms of fundraising uh, for a number of different charities and whatnot. Very cool stuff. And then, of course, the great Matt Minnick doing his coach speak and chalk talk things for us there. So audio side, that's where we're at. And then video beneath John, underneath that Cincy Jungle icon there. You can hit our show logo, hit the subscribe button, click the bell to be notified when new content is available when we go live all that good stuff and of course you got to keep it to cincyjungle.com for yes your podcast but breaking news opinions analysis all kinds of breakdowns and a lot to come here in the next few weeks with free agency and the draft around the corner no days off play like a champion and cincy jungle does that for sure okay well let's move on and then we'll get to some prospect profiles here in just a second Again, I, I guess I point back to where the you know the coaches returning and whatnot with this question, John. But last year the Bengals went uh, first three picks defense, right? Um, you know, you, you look at uh, Hill and Taylor Britt and Zachary Carter. They needed that after kind of losing you know losing some guys and wanting to kind of bolster depth. Obviously, looking ahead, kind of using some foresight there. Obviously, twenty twenty was offensive heavy with with Joe Burrow, T Higgins, you know, highlighting that class. So where do you see where do you see the Bengals as you hear right now? Obviously, no free agency being you know done at this point, um, but the coaches being back. Where do you see the Bengals going? Because I assume you know with these guys back, we have a little bit better grasp of okay, these are the types of players they're going to target. These are the types of guys they're going to want because we've become familiar with the coordinators and and what this coaching staff likes to do. You always got to play the classics, right? I mean, this team has trends <laughs> in, in the draft that they typically, like, you can identify a position and you can correlate that to a round that they like to go to. And then you just look at, you know, what they need. I immediately look at offensive tackle, right? Uh, obviously, there's question marks from a long term perspective because Jonah Williams is up after this year. Lael Collins has two years left, but he's coming off of a torn ACL. You're not really sure what you have at that position, regardless. I don't know if they're so aggressive to get an upgrade in free agency. And there's some complications with, I think, releasing Lael if he doesn't pass or regarding his physical and his injuries. So I think that's just a position that they look at the draft. They've consistently targeted that position in the first and second rounds, sometimes both. 
albeit that didn't really work out in 2015 when they drafted Abuehi and Jake Fisher. But I immediately, I immediately look at that. Cornerback is also another one that, that they target early. You have Eli Apple probably on the way out at this point. You have Cam Taylor Britt, but you also have Chibete Wuzier, who, again, coming off of a torn ACL entering the last year of his deal. You still have to look at this team like they're looking at the long term. They're trying to keep the window open as long as possible, and that doesn't mean to just attack your biggest needs immediately in the draft because if that was the case and you cut Joe Mixon, then you would draft a running back in the first round, right? And I don't think that that's on the table for them, but running back is another spot where they could go Round two, mm-hmm. round three, round four. It's a deep class. It seems like a good class. It seems like the most logical path forward to, to not pay Joe Mixon $10 million in base salary this year, just run with a, with a rookie and maybe some Ajay Pirine. Linebacker, potentially. I, I don't think it's going to be in the first two rounds. Like Third round would be the earliest I would see if they want to replace uh, Jermaine Pratt immediately or look long-term in case they don't get something done with Logan Wilson. So cornerback. Uh, edge rusher as well like I think they're always on the lookout for more for more bodies there like they saw the impact that Joseph Asai made as that third rusher in the, in the draft but they could always use uh you know more depth at both edge and three techniques so really all across the board and then tight end right they've drafted two tight ends in the first round in the past 10 years now they have again complete freedom to redo that position group the way that they want to seems like a good class of tight ends too so Fortunately for them, some of these positions that they need either immediate or long-term depth, it seems like good classes for those positions. So in the first round, usually the Bengals, depending on where they pick in the first round, but you're looking at cornerback is is a position they really value in the first round when it's there. You look at wide receiver, particularly when they're picking in the top 10 in recent history, they really like to draft a premier or who they view as a premier wide receiver. Um, occasionally you'll see offensive tackle or an offensive lineman in there, but it really has to kind of make sense. The really, you know, the one that's kind of sticks out a little bit there is the Billy price pick because that was out of sheer desperation there. It seemed, but, uh, you know, you look at Jonah Williams recently as an offensive tackle. So those are usually the positions that they have, you know, of course, quarterback when they've needed one of those as well. But, um, those are the positions that they really tend to value pretty highly, uh, in that first round, second round, you know, you mentioned running back, running back seems to be a, a pick that they make in those even rounds, whether it's two, four or six, right. Yeah. Second round, when you're look when they're looking for the starter, it seems like round two is the, is the money round. Joe Mixon, Corey Dillon. I mean, you, you can Kenny irons a long time ago. I mean, you could, you could go on and on and on round four is where they found Rudy Johnson. I think that's where they found Curtis Keaton years ago. Um, so, I mean, they, they, they will go, that route. I think P. Ryan himself, was he not a fourth round pick years ago as well? Yep. Uh, not that he was picked by the Bengals, but he was a fourth round pick. And then, of course, when you look in round six and seven, Rodney Anderson, um, who was the kid from uh, Baylor, Jay, uh, Jay Finley, right? I mean, they, so there's there's guys back there that they that they draft, but I, I think rounds two and four particularly. And then when you look at round four, round four is when they take those developmental trench guys, whether it's a defensive, an interior defensive lineman. They really like that. Uh, round four also seems to be uh, where, they, where they get a project swing tackle type of guy that they think that they can develop. Round three seems to be those, uh, you know, big tools, not so much production edge players. All right. I mean, they, you look at, you know, Jordan Willis and then Joseph Osai a couple of years ago. So, I mean, there, there are some there are some themes uh, there. I think Carl Lawson was a top of the fourth round pick or, you know, fringe third round guy. So there are some themes positionally, like you said, that the Bengals tend to trend towards in the draft. And of course, 
what they also trend towards is best player available, particularly when they think their roster's in a pretty good spot as they do now. So um, right now, I know it's an easy thing to say. I see this at least positionally or sides of the ball they address in the draft. I see it being kind of a um, you know pretty balanced draft. I, I think they, they would – not that they'll – let's alternate offense, defense. They're not going to necessarily do that strategically, but I think – you know, I don't think they're going to necessarily say, hey, we're going to only go offense early and then, you know – defense be damned till the till the day three or whatever i see it being pretty balanced yeah and i think it, it's been kind of the way it has been the past couple of years just because free agency has kind of dictated how the draft was going to go like last year they went all offensive line in free agency and they didn't really address the defense in that phase of the offseason so that's what they did in the draft you can say in 2021 when they signed hendrickson they signed a they signed hilden and those guys then they went offense offense yeah, they went offense, offense, back to back at the start of 2021, right? In in the draft. So with free agency being kind of an unknown, you don't really know which positions they're going to aggressively target, if they're going to aggressively aggressively target any position. So there's probably going to be naturally more balance in this free agency period for them, aside from obviously retaining their own, which probably leads to a more balanced draft. And also, like we can look at first round trends as well, but the Bengals don't normally draft this late in the first round as well. Like last year was the first time it was the latest draft pick that I think they've ever had an NFL draft history. And they took a safety, right? Like we thought that safety was like a dark horse position that they could target in the first round, maybe towards the later part of the draft process, but we weren't probably expecting it when the draft began, right? Dax Hill just kind of fell into their laps. Everyone kind of declared the best player available and they just went with that. They drafted Kevin Zeiler at the back half, at the very back of the first round, you know, 11 years ago. They never take interior offensive linemen, specifically guards, in the first round. But again, he was probably best player available. He fitted a need, and that's just what it was, right? So when you're drafting 28th or 29th or whatever they are this year, like, I think anything kind of goes at that spot. And you could see, you could see, like, something like a tight end, right? With there's president, but you could also see, you know, another position, maybe like an edge rusher, maybe a defensive tackle. They haven't taken a defensive lineman in the first two rounds since I think Devin Still and Brandon Thompson, or I think it was Devin Still, the second round pick in 2012. Third or, round was or, Thompson. Or, or Mar- Marcus Hunt, second round in 2013. Yep. So that was the last yep. time they've taken a, a pass rusher that early. So that could be a trend that they break too. It all depends on kind of how the board falls. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, seeing as how we're talking some draft, let's uh, switch gears. I know we're going to start uh, We got to start closing up here in just a little bit. I've got two prospect profiles, one offense, one defense. You you, you call it where we start. Which one do you want to start with, John? Oh, I'm an offensive guy. Let's go. Okay. We'll go with offense first, then we'll go with the defensive player. Now, of course, I'm the resident West Coast guy, so obviously you're going to see these two pl- players that I'm going to highlight here, and you're going to go, of course, the Pac-12 guy, blah, blah, blah. There's a rhyme and reason, John Sheeran, as to why these two players are being specifically profiled. For offense, this kid was recently mocked to the Cincinnati Bengals by ESPN's Todd McShay in his first-round mock, so we'll talk about him. The other... I was asked about from good friend of the show, longtime Bengals friend via Twitter, Cody Toomey. He dabbles in draft uh, draft talk and profiles and whatnot as well. 
And he obviously pointed that guy out to me. Um, so we're going to talk about him in just a second. So without further ado, I may or may not rewind some of these because some of them have clips here. They're a little longer um, than the others that I had done in the past here. But here you go. The first one up is Mr. Dalton Kincaid, the CNN from Utah. As you look at you look at Dalton Kincaid here, I love this guy. Love this guy. There are things that traditional and, and draft gurus will not like, namely age. You look at 23 years old, currently will be 24 in October. He's a fifth-year senior, 6'4", 240, not absolutely huge, but tall guy catches everything, John. And he does a little bit of everything in terms of the types of catches he makes, whether it's deep down the field, contested catches, short routes, um, there are questions with him, but a lot of stuff here. Here's some of the stats, 107 total catches. Now, he went he went to the University of San Diego previously, so these are the Utah stats here. I'm going to pause this real quick so you can see this. 107 receptions in his career, three years at Utah, 70 last year alone, uh, 890 yards last year, eight touchdowns both last year and the year prior. And you can see there, 19 touchdowns and 1,209 yards in two years at the University of San Diego, smaller school there. Uh, where old Josh Johnson hailed. Um, so he's a fifth-year guy. He is older. He was, I believe, a team captain for Utah. So that's a thing that I'm sure Zach Taylor and company would like. Uh, just a guy who is effort, effort, effort. And a guy that uh, you look at, you look here, this is uh, just some kind of short plays. And watch this, one tackle, two tackles, and then runs through a third. So, you know, just high effort. And I, I could put these, these catches on display for a really long time here. You see here, hurdle, nice play there for a nice play, a uh, nice gain there. This one, I believe, is a uh, down-the-field one, so showing the, the stretching of the field here, a little bit of a bobble and contested catch. Um, so there's a lot of stuff here that, you know, here's an intermediate route, and he takes it, I think, into the end zone on this one. Yeah, he does. So a lot of stuff to like from this kid. Um with with what he what he provides red zone target again 16 touchdowns the last two years for utah obviously utah a big uh couple of nice years nice hurdle there so i could go on with this with the with the hurdles and all this stuff forever and ever and ever and ever right i mean I, this is everything that he does the big question coming up here and we'll have some clips on it just a few what are the what's the um the blocking like right what 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 are we getting as a as a blocker here he is coming out of the flat here contested catch boom um bobbles between defenders so what are you getting here from him as a blocker and that's kind of the big question and maybe we'll fast forward that a little bit here to to get to that oh actually you know what i got i gotta play these because this is against usc these are some some big catches coming up here that's the big question with this kid though john is you know blocking uh can he hold up can he do everything you want him to do as an nfl tight end traditional nfl tight end watch watch this one nice one down the seam there beautiful catch and then there's one also i think that's going to come up here uh down the sideline and it'll show a nice footwork albeit just the one foot for college but still incredible play this is a tight end i mean this isn't a wide receiver but he's acting like a tall wideout, right so you can see here here's the here's the replay coming down foot comes down against USC. Boom. Got to like that. So I just really, I, I really like this kid from a pass catching perspective. There's some stuff in, in run block. Here he is as a run blocker. Um, 
right there. Not not much that you see there. He kind of dives into the pile, does create a, a little bit of a lane, helps to create a lane there. <coughs> Excuse me, kind of does the same on this one here. So not, you know, blocking, he'll get in there just because of his level of effort. But I didn't love uh, necessarily his blocking. I could see him potentially bulking up upper body, but he can make any catch that you ask him to make. He's a red zone weapon, which obviously is a hot commodity in today's NFL. Lined up a little bit, a couple times H-back, particularly when blocking uh, a lot in the slot. Uh, again, the high effort in blocking, but probably needs a little bit more work. The age is a question, but that also means he could be ready to contribute right now. I would like to see, you know, he's he's a little bit thinner, but man, you can use this guy right away, John, as, um, you know, just a weapon in the Bengals system and do some different things that really provide some spark for Joe Burrow and, and a guy that I think would be, you know, again, the captain status brings character and other elements. I just, I just really like this guy. Now in terms of where he may go, I think McShay had him mocked to the Bengals at the end of the first round. I see him kind of going maybe more where Trey McBride went last year, which is like middle of the second, early middle second. Um, so that's, that's where I, see him going and a a guy that I think, you know, he's probably not going to be all-star all pro type of guy perennially, but I think he could fit into this offense and be a nice, nice weapon um, provided that the Bengals get good draft value where they pick them. 890 yards for a tight end is a lot, especially in an offense where I think Utah only had 3,500 passing yards. So that, I mean, signals that he was not just a feature of the offense he was the feature of the passing offense 70 receptions for Titan is crazy too this is also the interesting thing about uh the draft because I knew nothing about this this young man before Anthony mentioned him to me and showed me his height weight production highlights and age specifically and a lot of it Sounds like Travis Kelsey coming out of UC because Kelsey was also, I believe, a 24-year-old rookie. He did a lot of things that you see in terms of being a receiver. He lined up as an inline guy, as a slot guy, but obviously athleticism and just the ability as a pure receiver was his biggest billing coming out of college. Now, Travis, I think, missed time at UC because of some not-so-great things, which is why he, I think, missed a couple of seasons and why he entered the NFL late as like a 24-year-old rookie. But there is precedent for a tight end with that athletic upside, with that upside in terms of production, with that skill set at that age to eventually become something great. Now, obviously, Travis Kelsey is a Hall of Famer. He's a, a probably a first ballot at this point. Like you don't expect that from Dalton Kincaid. But there, for the knocks that he may have in terms of his blocking ability, in terms of his age, it it shouldn't deter. I would I would think it shouldn't deter teams from investing an early pick on him. And he just ultimately seems like a tight end that the Bengals haven't had in quite some time, a guy who can truly stretch the field, right? Hayden Hurst, we thought was going to be more of that, but he wasn't really utilized in that way in this offense. And if the Bengals want to add that extra dimension at that position, he certainly seems like he fits the bill. I see a little bit of a blend between Tyler Eifert and Hayden Hurst in terms of like, if you're looking at it from a Bengals perspective, I know that's kind of lofty because Eifert was a pro bowler. Um, He was a guy that did not block. Uh, I mean, he kind of worked at it later in his career. He did not block. That's not what he was brought here for. Uh, Hurst did a little more of it. It definitely wasn't his forte either. But between when you see the effort, you know, the breaking of the tackles, the hurdles, all that kind of stuff that Kincaid does, I saw a lot of that from from Hayden Hurst this last year with the Bengals. And then, you know, you look at 
the, the other stuff, the, the ability to stretch the field, the, the working, the seam, that sort of thing. I, I, I see this guy as just, you know, I really, really like this guy. I really do. The value has to be there. I, I, I just, I, I'm really curious at how he tests also. Um, really curious about that. And I think also uh, he missed, I believe, the Rose Bowl because he had an injury, if I'm not mistaken. I'll have to mm. double check that one. But um, so that that's a knock there. But a guy who just did a lot of work for that Utah team and was a big, big reason for their success. So a guy that I'm very, very interested in. One of the things, ironically, when I talked about him being, you know, what's his, what's his run, run blocking type of prowess like, uh, oddly enough, some of the biggest gains came on these kind of delays or, um, you know, this looked like an RPO type of play where they're going to go maybe to him. He runs a route and then all of a sudden, you know, the, things open up for the running back there. So a couple of big gainers came from that as a decoy, not necessarily as a blocker in a traditional run set. So that I, I found that to be kind of interesting. Okay. So the other guy, I was asked specifically about this guy and man, I hope I, I should get his name right. I hope I uh, get it correct. This is the versatile and exciting defensive lineman, Tuli. Tui Pulotu. I think I said it right. Now this guy is this guy's fun, John. And why he's fun is because he makes plays from all over the defensive line. All over the defensive line. Can rush the passer from the inside, can rush the passer from passer from the outside. High effort in the run game. Uh, I don't have necessarily as many questions for this guy in terms of talent. There are a couple of things, but uh 6'4, 290, really young. He's only 20 right now turns 21 by the time the season starts early just early September he's a true junior whereas um you know Kincaid was the red shirt senior played all over the defensive line he's a Southern California guy this guy had a monster monster season this year he was all pack 12 in 21 and then followed that up with a big year this year you see here 116 total tackles 46 of them in 2022 he had 21 sacks overall 13 and a half Last year, five and a half the year prior. So a nice jump, which you like to see from a good sophomore year. 32 tackles for loss, 22 of them last year, John. 22 tackles for loss last year. Uh, two forced fumbles last year, four in total. One uh, fumble recovery in his career, none last year. And then three passes defended last year, five in total in his career. So a productive guy. He had a good year in 2021 and then an outstanding year this year. So it's not so much the one-year wonder type of status with him. He's he's a guy that uh, does some stuff. Here he is against the run, shoots off the edge, makes a big play for a loss. That's against Stanford. You can see here, this is what I, what I love about this guy, John, is depending on the game, depending on the circumstance, he plays different areas. And you see, see that one was an interior play, I think, um, where he uh, shoots for a loss here, um, shoots in there for a loss against the run. Um, he, he can shed blocks really well. Look at that comes off the edge. I don't think he was, I think he came in on touch on that one, but, um, just a guy that is disruptive. Wasn't even on the defensive line really right there. Here he is sniffs the ball out on the perimeter and forces a fumble, um, beats a guy off the edge. And if you're noticing a trend here in terms of pass rushing, in terms of run blocking, you'll see on the pass rushing, it's, it's both edge spots. It's on the inside. Uh, you know, he just makes plays all over the field. Now, some of the things I didn't like um, was that, or I guess that people could find that they don't like about him is they came in spurts against teams that were 
not, you know, top caliber SEC type of teams. You know, you're talking about your Washington States. You're talking about, you know, a Stanford team that had a down year. Uh, you're talking about high production against teams that aren't necessarily, you know, the, the hugest caliber. But when he goes up against these teams, he dominates them. And he finds ways to get to the quarterback. Sometimes he'll submarine <laughs> to get either a tackle for loss on a quarterback. He'll kind of submarine a block and get under it. Or he'll loop around the edge. You can see here a nice jump around the, the offensive tackle there. Um, and then, you know, another loop around there. I think that was San Jose State, if I'm not mistaken, there. And then, of course, I think this is the last clip I have here against Notre Dame. So you can see here he can rush the passer from multiple spots. The Bengals need interior pass rush. They need an ex some extra juice potentially on the outside too. He has good pursuit and play recognition. He, I said the ascending player, five and a half sacks last year, 13 and a half this year. So two, uh, you know, a really nice jump. Uh, can be versatile, which which would be really, really good for Lou Anarumo. I don't know how, you know, in terms of that huge, quick, fast first step, I don't know how, how explosive he is. Of course, you've got the question of, okay, where do you where do you play him full-time or where do you play him the most in the NFL? Do you play him on the inside and kind of hope he's that Geno Atkins kind of guy in the middle? Or do you try, try and maybe shed a few pounds and let him be an edge rusher? Or do you just kind of keep working him the way that SC did if you feel that you're confident enough to get production out of him at the NFL level both of those ways? A guy that I really, really like, he's just – you can if you're Lou Anarumo, you can have a ton of fun with this guy, I think. And if with the Bengals needing a ton of help on interior pass rush and just extra juice getting to the quarterback, this guy provides it from a lot of different spots. 22 tackles for loss, and the next closest guy on his team at seven and a half. That's not the defense normal. was terrible. Yeah, the defense was terrible across the board. He was the lone bright spot. Like, the, like regardless of the circumstance, like, I mean, he's doing it at USC. It's not, it's not like he's doing it at an FCS school. And I understand, like, the like there were concerns with, like, Miles Garrett because he had, like, half of his sacks in his junior year against, like, a low-level school, even though he still had, like, eight and a half on the year and still led the team. Like, production is production, ultimately, and this is a rare kind of production. Like, this is, this is Will Anderson type of production relative to his team. Now, obviously, Will Anderson is probably a better athlete and he did it against SEC schools and everything and, and whatnot. But if this guy, like, if there are questions with his overall athleticism and that's the reason why he drops, like, th this type of player who produces at this age, too, if he's only 20 years old, 20. These are, like, like these are guys that, that stay in the NFL for a long time. Like, production like this isn't an, ac isn't an accident at this level of competition in college football. So, like, you, you might be onto it like a steal here. What I love about it, about the guy is, you know, so many times in the, in the past, we talk about those hybrid edge linebackers. So there's a guy that used to play for uh, SE. I don't know which team he was on. He was on Washington for a while. I think he was on the, the Chargers as well. And Cheno Wosu, um, yeah. he was a guy that a few years back that was a productive guy that was that tweener, but the tweener between edge rusher and line outside linebacker, right? This is a guy that's a tweener between interior defensive linemen and can play the outside and so you either you know you can there's a little bit of i i don't know about the comparison there's a little bit of ed oliver in there uh this guy's bigger in terms of being able to do things inside maybe you kick him out i i just i really like this guy um i i don't know I, it's going to be very hard to tell where he could last someone could fall in love with him in the middle of the first round he could slide to the back of the first round or second round if people don't love how he tests if he tests poorly 
that sort of thing. Um, but I mean, you look at the tape, he's just everywhere. He's everywhere. And if he was not on that USC team, based on how poor the rest of that defense was, there is no way in hell that that SC team was making it, you know, as far as they did this year, because that, that defense wouldn't have been able to really stop anybody. But this guy was an absolute force with really no help around him. Right. And I think it's going to depend on how he tests athletically because that production with elite testing numbers, that doesn't last beyond like the first 15 picks in the draft. Now right. there might be questions on like what his acumen is and you know how technically sound he is as, as a pass rusher. And obviously the, the tweener questions come into play as well. Maybe some teams wouldn't be comfortable with whatever plan is in place because they don't really know who he is. So a player with, with that profile, if he happens to fall in day two, I feel like that is that is the spot to take him, right? Because like Ed Oliver, he was a top 10 pick and he was billed as like the next best three technique and he hasn't really developed into that and part of his career trajectory now is because like he's looked kind of down because of when he was drafted but if if he happens to be drafted in like the 50s or 60s or whatever because there's some, some there's some questions like the expectations with, with him won't be nearly as high and I think that would be an ideal spot for him to develop and progress into a solid player. One of the one things I did love about the USC's defense and what they did with Thule this year is they basically found weak spots on the opposition's offensive line and they said you're gonna you're gonna play edge this week. You're gonna play you're gonna play right edge, you're gonna play left edge, you're gonna play interior, and you're just gonna we're just gonna have you exploit because you're our easily our best player on defense. We're gonna exploit someone up front. That's the weak weak area that we think you can get in there, and he did it almost every single week. 13 and a half sacks, 22 tackles for loss this last year incredible and a guy that i think would be a, i think lou Rumo would have a lot of fun with a guy like that so those are our two prospect profiles i know everybody's going to go west coast homer hey i know those guys a little bit more i've watched <laughs> i watched those two guys dalton kincaid and, and Tuli there so but still two guys i think that would be really really good additions in one form or another for the cincinnati Bengals. probably within the first two rounds most definitely for both of them i would say unless something crazy unforeseen happens but that's kicking off the prospect profiles for this year. We'll have more as well as free agency profiles and other goodies, mock drafts. We got to, oh gosh, we got to do mock drafts probably at some point too. John. Don't say yeah. that. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, let's drop the mic and get out of here. We're we're uh, coming up against it. So what do you got for us, my friend? Uh, I, I guess there was some minor Joe Burrow news. He's launching a pro volleyball, pro women's volleyball team in Nebraska for, I believe, a league that's hmm. forming next year with Jason Derulo. And I want to shout out uh, at Mike Suzek on Twitter, who came up with the perfect pun, Joson Barulo. <laughs> I like it. And you sang that. That was nice. I like that. I like that. Love Derulo. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I, I kind of said I, I did a little bit of a mic drop on the last episode I did where I was just kind of just saying thank you once again to the, to the listeners and to hanging with us for, uh, you know, years really on this show labor of love and you know we just uh we, we try and give you what you like what you what we think you like what we hope you like and um you know the fact that you guys hang with us on the live shows the fact that you hang with us you know um after the fact and you know download all the stuff and just show us a lot of support can't thank all of you enough because we've received a lot of support we've tried to supply you all not just with shows that uh, John and I provide, but with others. And we're going to continue to do that from, from high quality people. And hopefully you just enjoy what we do, but I'm just grateful, John. And another season goes by, it was a successful Bengals season, a successful season for our channel, our website and our, and this specific 
podcast. We talked to a lot of cool people again. And, um, you know, it's, it just, it's, it's a fun thing that we like to do. I appreciate your contributions as always, John. And just, you know, I'm just appreciative to the listeners. I can't, can't echo that enough. Absolutely, man. Six six point one K on YouTube strong and still growing. It it amazes me every time I look at that number. So thank you guys. Yeah, I probably should be better at this sort of thing. I don't I don't know. I don't know. But uh anyway, about promotion. I, I'm not a good promotion guy. I should I should be better about that, or I need to get someone in on that. But regardless, thank you all for everything. Thank you, John. And we will be back soon with more. Take care and we'll see you soon. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.